Good morning and welcome to all the UK Column viewers and listeners. Uh, I'm here in the studio. It's a bit of a dull morning in uh, Plymouth, as you can see from the backdrop, but maybe we'll get some of that sunshine back soon. Now, I'm very pleased to have Trevor Kitchen back with me. We've done a couple of interviews together. Uh, we've talked about fraud in the banking system and the Forex uh, system. We've also talked about the power of the European arrest warrant, which I know that uh, Trevor does not think has gone away as a result of uh, the supposed change of status of the UK and the EU. But we're going to have a pretty free ranging discussion today about banking matters. So Trevor, welcome back to the UK column. I can't believe that it was December last year uh, when we last spoke. Where has the time gone? Yeah, it's incredible, Brian. Thank you for having me back. It's uh, amazing. Yeah, full seven months almost passed and uh, time is just flying. I think that uh, you know, a lot of this technology is, is managing to absorb our time. That's what I feel. Uh, it takes up a lot of time, uh, especially, I'd, I go so far as saying, the public are now more involved than ever at trying to fix problems that our leaders are meant to fix uh, or, or, or are put there to do. So the public get more involved in sorting out these problems they can't really fix them but they complain on emails and on the internet through these social programs and so forth and i think that's what takes away a lot of our time i would certainly agree with that uh, trevor of course a lot of people say well it's as you get older time speeds up uh, but i've also started to come to the conclusion that our brains are just buried in whether it's the smartphone or looking at stuff on, on your laptop or your computer. And uh, we, we are taken into a different world. Maybe we'll get back on, on that subject uh, towards the end of our discussion today. But let's kick off. You kindly sent me through some notes, as you usually do. And you've got three main topics here. You've got matters to do with the banks. Uh, you've got state capture, which I find is a is a very um, interesting expression and one that I instantly thought, yep, that sums it up. And the third one was government protectors. So these are the lawyers, uh, the prosecutors, the regulators, and indeed the legal system such as it is, which allow uh, the government and various bodies, almost banks even, to do as they please. So we're going to kick off then with, with banks. And you added the little caveat uh, when crime is not a crime. Before I let you loose on that, Trevor, I just wondered for the audience, could you give us what, what your opinion is, what your feeling is on how the world banking system is put together? You've had a heavy focus on Switzerland. And of course, we've got the Bank of International Settlements based in Switzerland. But how Excuse me. How do you see the overall banking system? I'll be provocative. Is is it that we've got a mixture of different banks? We've we've got the high street banks. We've got the merchant banks. We've got, if we're in America, we've got thousands of little banks serving local people. Is the system just complicated, or have we got something else at work? 
Well, I'm not so sure so much that we have lots of little banks. I think the banks are moving into just central banks, major banks, and that will come with digital currency too eventually, that it will just be probably one bank. I think traditional banking is long finished. Uh, if you try to open up an account in a foreign country nowadays, it's almost impossible unless you're fully resident in that country. Even offshore banking is uh, quite, uh, let's say, dubious nowadays, the type of questions they're asking people, and I can cover those later. But generally, I'd say banking has been split into two sectors. One is the traditional banking, which is disappearing. Uh, as we know, if you go in high street banks now, they resemble more like shops rather than a bank as a traditional bank. And then we've got uh, investment banking, which is what Switzerland has always been about since I first went there over 30 years ago. Uh, it was always about investment banking, meaning you had to have a lot of money. Otherwise, the bank was never interested in you in opening up an account. You're just a liability. To them because it's it's the work that they so that's my my take on banking i think banking in general will eventually um uh, become one bank that will be the bank of international Set settlements which is incidentally also based in switzerland right next to the other organizations like uh, world economic forum and the World Health Organization and, and lots of others. They're all based in Switzerland. And also, I think public don't realize that these central banks that report to the Bank of International Settlement are not federal government banks. They're privately owned. And this is fact. This has been proved over and over again, but it never seems to get into the press into the mainstream media. People, if you go hunting for this on the internet, you'll find lots of um, qualified people, professors talking about this, e economists, and all these people mentioning how the banking system is set up. That is never put over to the average person in the streets. So, you know, when, when people are told on the street, oh, we've got a central bank here, you automatically think that this bank is run by the government. It's not. None of them. They're all feeding information into the Bank of International Settlements, which is also privately owned, and it, is, it has immunity, like the Vatican does, against um, uh, police cannot enter the building, authorities cannot go in that building, just like the state, uh, you know, the Vatican in, in Rome. Uh, they're immune to prosecution. So they can do what they want. So all of these central banks uh, do the settlements through the Bank of International Settlements in Basel, in Switzerland. And it's not a particularly large building there. When I first saw it, I was staying across the road in the Hilton Hotel, and I thought, what is this odd building bent on an angle? And somebody said, oh, that's the Bank of International Settlements. And I said, oh, they do all the international settlements of uh, currencies and transactions. They said, yeah, that's it. They regulate. Uh, that's, that's my take on the banking, um, Brian, is that uh, 
Does that sum it up quite well? Well, I think so. And um, it was quite a few months ago on one of the UK Column News uh, editions that we did talk about the Bank of In International Settlements. And we showed the documents which said that the Bank of International Settlements was now operating uh, in UK. And we pointed out uh, all of the statements that they had diplomatic immunity and bags couldn't be opened and, and uh, minutes of meetings had to stay private. And I think um, this was quite a shock to some people, but it really it was the start of a trail because if we're not too sure what the banks themselves are up to, of course, we're really not sure what the people who run those banks are up to because we never see, we never see the meetings, we never see the discussions. So I, I have become, sorry, I've become more and more fascinated at the realm of banking and indeed money creation, because although there are various statements as to who creates money, when I look through the available information, it becomes very murky as to who ultimately is making the decision that currency is going to be created. Um, and of course, if that's digital, um, <laughs> huge amounts can be created by one person at the press of a button. Correct. Uh, Zero Hedge uh, is a website, uh, uh, a financial website. They, they look into all these matters. And many years ago, they were actually publishing uh, the traders who were responsible for the currency crisis. They actually put photos there. And these traders came from all walks of life and all different countries. Many were Russians, many were Swiss, and it was then that we were manipulating the, the Swiss franc to become so strong. And, you know, you have to say, after all of what's happened with Credit Suisse and UBS, all these um, scandals that have been out, they've been fined billions of dollars, that they're still in existence, and the Swiss franc is still the most valued currency in the world. It's maintained its strength against the pound, the dollar, the euro. And since the currency crisis, by the way, in 2011, it hasn't budged. Someone is locking those rates um, and not letting them move in a natural way. Exchange rates move because of trade, import and export. If you export more, your currency becomes stronger. If you uh, export less, it becomes weaker. And uh, so why these currencies are not moving daily by natural forces of economics, is it baffles me. I look at it every day and I see, for example, this week, Friday, last week, the Swiss franc was exactly the same on Friday as it was on the Monday before against the euro, the dollar and the pound. It had not moved. So someone is manipulating it now, the currencies, to stay uh, where they are. And I think this is all getting ready for this uh, digitalization, the central digital currency that they're gearing up for, so that when they eventually convert these currencies, they will be locked in, the, in a range that the public are going to pay for. Very interesting uh, comment. 
A question for you. Do, do you believe that the power base for the world financial system is actually in Switzerland? 100%. I believe that. Not, not only I, but many other people. I mean, there, there are financial centers such as London, Tokyo, New York, but there is a reason why, again, those currencies have nosedived against the Swiss franc, and the Swiss franc remains the choice value of currency. It's, uh, you know, that gold prices can go down, silver can go down, the Swiss franc never goes down, it only goes up. So yes, I do believe that Switzerland is the, the chosen country. It's not chosen by Swiss themselves, I don't think. I think it's all the other countries use Switzerland as the base. And that's why when you see these banks collapsing like Credit Suisse, they quickly blame other people and not the Swiss, and they're protected, just, just like the Bank of International Settlements. It's an immunity. It's diplomatic immunity. Nobody's going to hold anyone to account. They'll get a slap on the wrist, uh, a major fine, and you know they're free to walk away. But in the meantime, if you or I did something like this, we'd be in prison. You've actually very nicely taken this through to, to your first topic, because when you're talking about banks, when crime is not a crime, you are very much making that statement on your knowledge and very personal experience of what happens when you challenge the Swiss banking system. And I, I asked the question about whether you believe that it was Switzerland that had the power base for the, for the global financial system. And you said, yes, you do believe that. So now we've locked these two things together. I, I've always regarded myself as, a, as a, an amateur on matters financial because it was only in recent years that I started to do my own uh, research about how money and the banking system really worked. But I've, I think I've got a reasonable brain. And as I started to look at things and ask very simple questions, the first thing you learn is this system appears to be very complicated. It's difficult to get to the bottom of things. But yes, once I discovered the Bank of International Settlements, um, you found a bank with immense power and diplomatic immunity, and it was centered in Switzerland. So take us into, into your discussion point of banks when crime is not a crime. What started you with that title? There's quite a few whistleblowers who are, who are in trouble in Switzerland. And the ones who are in the biggest trouble are the ones who report financial crime uh, or uh, banking crime, anything to do with a financial institution. There are other whistleblowers that report crime in manufacturing companies and things like this. But when it touches banks, uh, it's automatically a crime to report a crime. <laughs> this happened to not just myself, it's happened to Rudolf Elmer and uh, many other people in that country. So I think, um, you know, it, Switzerland's banks were stopped basically from uh, going out to other countries and poaching business. They were stopped from that. I was under these new FATCA laws, uh, money laundering and tax evasion. So they were no longer allowed to aid and abet in, in any of those things like money laundering and tax evasion. Um, 
But while I'm on that point, I'd like to make a quick note of what lawyers regard that with their semantics. And this is where the lawyers come in on this and how things have changed with my interpretation of lawyers and what, they, what they're there for. Lawyers say tax avoidance is legal and tax evasion isn't. Um, so I automatically think, well, what's avoidance and what's evasion? Uh, they're playing with words. They're playing with our language. And this is happening not just in this situation that we're talking about now. This is happening with everything that public are touching nowadays. You know, you do something wrong and they'll twist it another way and make it look different to what it really is. So that was my point on the word. Now, after poaching, um, banks like Credit Suisse set up uh, branches in other countries like America. They went to America and they said, let's set up a branch here because we're not allowed to go out from Switzerland and bring the business back to Switzerland. That's forbidden. So they set up uh, banks like Credit Suisse First Boston. This is the one that's caused all the problems now with the collapse of uh, Credit Suisse and all those bondholders and shareholders losing 95%, 95% of their money. Now, Credit Suisse's magic management, their aim, and others as well, is obviously, in my opinion, to go and steal money from shareholders or bondholders in order to pay their salaries because they have no business. We're going back to the original question that you asked. What is banking about? Investment, traditional banking. Traditional banking is gone. Investment banking, well, what do you want to invest in nowadays? The Celtic tiger is gone. The Asian, um, whatever they called it, that's all gone. There's not many resources left on the planet. So these guys are just pretending to invest in stuff. And that's why the shares went down the drain, basically. So what happened is these managers were protected from criminal sentencing by this, in my opinion, again, by the Swiss government to save themselves embarrassment. And the Swiss prosecution services and regulators refuse to recognize this as fraud and theft and charge these people with criminal offenses. Instead, these, these government prosecutors recharacterize, again, coming back onto the play of language, they reclassify, or in a legal term they use nowadays, recharacterize, that's the word they use in law, mismanagement, uh, uh, sorry, they recharacterize fraud as mismanagement. This is where it's all going wrong. And, you know, they do that so that these cases can be treated in civil courts and these banks pay bribes, basically, to the regulator. That's what they are. They get a slap on the wrist and they have to pay the regulator for mismanagement. Uh, meanwhile, the shareholders have lost all their money and that goes on for years and years and years and the banks made, uh, the lawyers made more business from that again. Now, there was a report, quite a damning report that came out from Paul Weiss in America in his indictment of Credit Suisse senior management. Uh, and he said, as demonstrated, the toxic culture of self-dealing with the bank, Credit Suisse secretly knew the end was near, but concealed the truth. 
This dire situation was caused by years of misconduct, malfeasance perpetrated by the defendants, the management. But as I said to you, Brian, earlier, you know, if a member of a, a public goes and reports this kind of behavior, financial wrongdoing or fraud to Switzerland's government, the Swiss prosecution will target and charge that person. Again, they'll use this recharacterization. They'll charge that person calling them a whistleblower, which whistleblowers are hated in Switzerland, with all sorts of charges. They'll come up with, like they do with me, breaches of secrecy, breaches of privacy, data theft. I stole nothing, by the way. Criminal defamation and threatening behavior. And in some cases, they've even tried with Rudolf Elmer to charge him with espionage. This is where it's all going. And it's all boiling down to me. It's about language and truth and um, it's being eroded. That, that's where it all comes down to, the, the right to speak freely. If you cannot speak, they're stifling uh, the public's right to speak out about these wrongdoings so that they can protect themselves. Now, on that subject, Swiss speak several languages, and this is how they became international. They speak four languages in Switzerland alone, and then they speak Spanish and French, and this is their business so that they could gain business. And I've seen this uh, develop over the last 30 years when I was working there. So they know how very well how to manipulate words and better still, the meanings of those words. And there's been many people speaking about how our language has been changed over the last few decades to sort of support wrongdoing, if you like. So. They can do it, but you can't because they've got an answer for that because they understand the language. And they switch from one language to another when it suits their purpose. The Swiss finance minister, Karen uh, Keller-Zutter, I think her name is, she said in a recent interview when Credit Suisse went bust that uh, the directors, the board of directors are responsible for Credit Suisse, not the government. So she's ignoring the law and order, and deflecting the responsibility onto the very people who cause Credit Suisse to collapse, if, if you know what I'm saying. She's basically saying it's not our problem, the government's, although this government, Swiss government, the Credit Suisse Bank and UBS form a major part of the economy of Switzerland. And so the government is heavily involved they, they do monitor these banks. They look at the stock prices falling, tumbling from whatever it was. It fell 95%, Brian. And the Swiss are saying, it's not our business to recognize that fall or to do something about it with a major uh, contributor to our, um, our economy. Between us, uh you're the you're the the man who's had the experience and the expertise on this. So we're pointing a finger at Switzerland. We're saying Switzerland is an interesting country uh, because uh, it, it has the the power of the world banks situated in Switzerland, and and you've just described that this banking system is also 
clearly tied into the Swiss government. So that's that's the first positional statement. Then when it becomes obvious that these immensely powerful, we'll call it this banking empire, is involved in activities which are clearly unlawful, illegal, um, what then happens is that the regulators are rebranding in order to take the heat off the banks and basically dissipate the problem. And the next point you've made there is that they're using uh, a recrafting of language to do this. So fraud and uh, fraud and corruption has, has become, uh, sorry, what was the, the term? Mismanagement. Yeah. So, so this is this is very interesting because we are seeing this change of language happen in other areas, in other countries. We could talk about uh, um, matters to do with child protection and child abuse. We see these, this terminology change. Uh, we can see it in matters to do with the police at large. But I don't want to distract from too much, but I'm just, for the audience, I'm just uh, trying to really focus on the fact that if we are to accept that Switzerland is so powerful and we have the, the head of the, the banking uh, um, octopus base there, then if we've then got criminal activity which is being uh, permitted or facilitated by the fact that there's no proper uh, lawful action taken against it, we've got a real beast in operation because it can clearly do as it wants. Yeah, well, the Bank of International Settlements is international. I think the, the person in charge there, I don't recall his name offhand, but he's an American. Um, you know, it's, uh, it is, we do have a beast and uh, it's, it's worrying for the future. Uh, what, what, are, what are public paying these people for, you know, to aid and protect fraudulent behavior that's bad for an economy? Uh, it makes no sense. It's it's affecting people on the street. And as you said, it, the language being changed is in every, uh, from every perspective. It's not just about banking. And this is not just about Swiss, what I'm talking about here in Switzerland. It, it is related worldwide. It's just that the focus is on Switzerland because everybody is, all these other countries use Switzerland as the center point. That's proved by the Bank of International Settlements, the World Health Organization, uh, the, the Red Cross, um, what else? They're all there. They're all based in Switzerland. Um, and they say, well, we base ourselves in Switzerland because the Swiss are so uh, efficient. Well, are they more efficient than uh, a workforce of 20 million uh, in, in the UK? Are, are 2 million people in Switzerland more efficient than 20 million in the UK or 30 million in Germany or many more in the US or, or Asia for that matter? No, they're not. So why is everything focused in Switzerland? That's why I keep coming back to this. Uh, and I've spent 30 years of my life there. Well, you brought it up. So let's just touch on it. But you had a quote here from a... Um, a journalist called Ambrose Evan Pritchard, and this was an article from The Telegraph on the 24th of March, uh, where the, the title was that the era of Swiss exceptionalism is over. 
And there, there were a number of quotes. But why have you picked up on this article? And what, what does Ambrose actually mean by pointing a finger and saying that that era of Swiss exceptionalism is over? Well, I think Ambrose, uh, Ambrose uh, Evans Pritchard, as I've read a lot of his articles. He seems to cover all this, um, you know, like the financial uh, crisis and, and, and all these type of things. And it's usually, what do they call them, op-eds, uh, opinion. So he puts up his opinion on Telegraph. And uh, I think he's right in what he's, said, what he's said. And he's pointed out some very good um, he's picked up on some very good points. Karen Keller, the finance minister of Switzerland, uh, used to be a translator, and she's now running the finances of Switzerland. She has no experience in finance, and he says in that article, this is as amateur as it gets. He, he's not the only one. But he, he goes on later, if you'd like me to quote some of the other things, shall I put those down? Or yes, would you like yeah, to mention yeah by, by all means, uh, yes. Yeah, he says that, um, let me just get to them. Uh, he says that the relationship with uh, Switzerland, between Switzerland and the EU, has broken down. That Switzerland's business model as banker for the, uh, as banker for the global elites has crashed and burned. And that Karen, as we've just said, Karen Sutter has no experience in finance. Uh, she used to be a translator and she's running the finances of Switzerland and these banks are crashing. Uh, the reputation, he goes on to say, the reputation of Swiss banking has been damaged forever. The legal theft of 17 billion was executed without an accounting justification. Swiss authorities will rue the day when they picked this fight. Trust is everything in banking. And Credit Suisse have clung too long to the old Swiss recipe of bank secrecy, wealth concealment, anonymity, and tax avoidance. Switzerland has maneuvered itself into a diplomatic uh, quadrumar out of hubris and addiction to the old recipe. He goes on that Britain's pensions fiasco, he sort of compares it, to Britain's pension fiasco that happened. He says that was scarcely better, but the, the difference was that the British political leaders responsible were completely decapitated instantly. In other words, they were held accountable. The Swiss hadn't been. No relevant actor in Switzerland has been removed from their job. The UK has been rock solid at a time of great peril for the European civilization. I'll repeat that. At a time of great peril for European civilization, the UK has been rock solid. I agree there, because when they find that people are wrong in, in the UK, you're not charged with privacy and secrecy, uh, uh, that you're a criminal because you defame someone. You're held to account and you're fired. That's it, period. This is not happening in a major country like Switzerland that claims to be a democracy. They don't. They let these people off. Anyway, he goes on with another quote. Uh, Ambrose goes on with another quote, and he says, the war has had the opposite effect, the war in, in Ukraine, for the Swiss, exposing the threadbare moral claims 
of their, sorry, I've just had to change the page, so, um, uh, of their neutrality. There comes a point when this crosses into complicity. I do find it interesting when, when we see journalists, um, legacy media, I have to call them now, I'm not allowed to call them mainstream media, but uh, uh, they clearly are starting to see something at least of what's going on in the world and they're heading in the right direction with some of their reports. I don't necessarily agree with everything they're saying, but it is encouraging when you start to see some printed and major articles pointing a finger. Um, so very interesting observations. While you were reading those out, I couldn't resist it because in my head I thought, yes, and in Switzerland we've, we've got a special organisation, which I'd just like to mention. We've got Transparency International. And uh, uh, this is a, a group of self-appointed individuals based in Switzerland, and it says, we hold the powerful and corrupt to account by exposing the systems and networks that enable corruption, we advocate for policies and build coalitions to change the status quo. And based in Switzerland, they are holding conferences to address these problems in countries all over the world. And I, I, I found this quite, quite amusing with a black humour approach. I've had a lot of dealings with Transparency International in, in, in respect to writing to them one-way communication. They never respond. I've written ten dozens of emails to them about the situation I was put in and that not one of them have responded. Not one. Um, I think all of these NGOs or whatever you want to call them, they are put there as a protection barrier. They are put there to, to gain information from the public and then they feed it back to the perpetrators, so the perpetrators are protected, not the public. Yeah. I wanted to go on, Brian, with something that um, I thought about with the um, with the Swiss um, banking thing, which came up in the news also recently, where people who uh, mention certain things against the banking system, how they are held to account, or they have their accounts closed. I just wanted to main, uh, make a point about that uh, Nigel Farage had had his account closed because of his uh, holding certain views on Brexit. And that was the same situation that happened with um, Ai Weiwei, uh, the Chinese uh, dissident. Um, Ai Weiwei, when he had his account closed by um, Credit Suisse for voicing his opinions too. That's, that's it, basically. They, they, they just close your account when they hear what they don't want to hear. Again, it's all going down to speech and double standards. Of course, the dissident um, you mentioned on the interview that, that we did together, and I'll make sure that both interviews are flagged up at the end of this one so that people can, if they don't know, can go back and listen to what actually happened to you. Um, but at least we can say with Nigel Farage, that the additional publicity, I think, has really made quite a lot of people think. Um, this has been going on in the background for quite a long time. Suddenly, he gets hit with it, and via GB News, uh, there was enough publicity to actually push this out to a lot of people. I, I know, you know, straw poll here in Plymouth, but I can talk to people locally, and, and they say, that's really scary. 
that the banks can just shut your account. And I said, yeah, it's been happening to a lot of people. So um, yeah, we're now, we're now beginning to see we've got a corrupt banking system. It, it has no transparency whatsoever. And it, it is above the law in, in its seat of power in Switzerland, but it's also above the law, I think, in many other countries. So um, yeah, if your account's shut, what can you do? When I uh, reported uh, fraud and corruption to the Swiss authorities, they didn't close my account. They went into it and stole part of my pension, £30,000. And the Swiss uh, prosecutor, to get away with that, to enable her to get away with it, she recharacterized uh, what they were charging me with, was uh, privacy and secrecy and defamation and all this. She recharacterized uh, this to a crime of, uh, of me making threatening, uh, threatening physical violence against them because I'd written to them. Can you believe it? This is what's going on, Brian. As soon as you say something nowadays, they take it and twist the language. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> this is the, the bottom line is what they're doing. If they can't win one way, they try another way. So they did. They, they, um, and by the way, this what happened with um, his account, Nigel Farage, who said it's, it's worked in his favor. This is this famous, uh, I think they call it the Barbara Streisand effect. Have you heard of that? Uh, I haven't embarrassed myself. Because somebody was caught filming her house once and she complained about it and it, it got even more uh, publicity than she had intended it. So they they labelled it the Barbara Streisand effect when it backfires. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Thank you for that. Well, let let's move on to this this phrase of state capture. What 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 do you feel state capture is, and why should we pay, be paying attention to it? This is something that I was just looking at on. Um, you know, I, I often read what's going on in the World Economic Forum's website. And it was there that I found this. And when I, re- I, I, I sort of read about it on their website, and then I went and looked at other people's points of view of it. And that's where I came up with these quotes. That, that This is not what I've written. This is quoted by uh, legal people. And what they've said about state capture, that state capture is a, is a, is a type of systemic corruption uh, whereby narrow interest groups take control of institutions and processes through which public policy is made, uh, directing public policy away from the public interest and instead shaping it to serve their own interests. This is a very important statement, I'd say, and this is what's happening. Um, So I, I, I would urge people to start reading up on state capture because there's a whole lot more that I've read there and I don't know whether we've got time to go through that. Trevor, let me just read out a little bit of this um, definition, which ironically has come from the World Economic Forum, if I've, if I've got this correct. So um, it says, state capture is a type of systematic corruption whereby narrow interest groups take control of the institutions and processes through which public policy is made, directing public policy away from the public interest and instead shaping it to serve their own interests. And there's 
This is connected to an article, so it goes on to say, this article argues that the concept of state capture helps to structure our understanding of patterns of grand corruption seen around the world in various varied context, and increasingly even in countries once regarded as secure democracies. So those two going together, I, I find absolutely fascinating, particularly as I would regard the World Economic Forum itself as being one of the organizations which is absolutely working to uh, capture and take control of uh, public policy to, to swerve national interest in the direction that the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab in particular wants to go. So very interesting that the World Economic Forum identifies a problem and defines it pretty accurately, but it, it is itself part of the problem. It's amazing, isn't it? It's almost like, uh, again, as Ai Weiwei said the other year, they're hypocrites. They keep contradicting themselves. They say one thing on one hand and they do something with the other. The same with the European arrest warrant. They say you, you can't arrest people for things that I was arrested for, but in this case, it's okay. Um, you know, because it involves Switzerland, I, I guess. That's all I can summarize it as. Because Switzerland's involved, uh, you have to comply with whatever they say. Yeah. And that's that's the feeling a lot of whistleblowers have in Switzerland, is that Switzerland just gets away with everything it, it can do because it, it runs the banking system. And this this is nothing new. This has happened in history as well, going through history, hasn't it? Yes. Ones who can the banking system control everything. They don't they don't need to be politicians. This is the key point, isn't it? If you are in control of the monetary system, the banking system, the financial system, if you have the ability to create money out of nothing, if you have access to unbelievable wealth to use as you wish, you are, you are in power, you are in control. And the next mm -hmm. bit, of course, that we can see that system doing is funding the very interest groups, NGOs, agencies, charities that are capturing public policy and ultimately capturing the state itself. So if we look at where the funding comes for a lot of the change agencies in societies around the world, we could go to George Soros and Open Society, where he is using his multi-billions of dollars in order to fund um, NGOs. You probably usually call them an NGO. They might be a charity. And those agencies will work to implement George Soros-backed policy in whatever country they're based in. We're, we're getting a glimpse of their system through their own definition of what's supposedly going wrong. It's not going wrong, it's going right. They are capturing states. Yes, and they're doing it in the open. And they're using the law to, uh, to back them. Whatever they do, they've got the interests of lawyers uh, uh, they're helping them. They, a lot of these politicians are lawyers anyway. They've studied law. Um, I've noticed that with uh, President Obama's wife. She was a lawyer. 
I think Tony Blair's wife was a lawyer, and they all studied law. And what what better way to do it? Understand the law, or even write the law. Yes. Make the law, or, or break it. Make it so that you can break it. When when you were talking about aspects of the, of the law earlier and and the use of language, uh, my mind took me back many years ago when I was uh, with with a mother in a, a family court. Um, tragic as most of these cases are because she was trying to hold on to her baby boy, which the court ultimately took from her. Um, but in one, one of the hearings where I was with her as a Mackenzie friend, I was trying to help, but at the same time being in that family court meant I could experience for myself the horrors that go on. Um, but at a particular point, the local authority, this was a local authority in South Wales, um, accused me of trying to uh, trying to break into a contact centre. This is a, a centre where usually the mothers are allowed to go and see their own children for, say, three times a week. Uh, but I was uh, accused by the local authority on a particular day at a particular time of trying to break into the contact centre. And I was pretty shocked when this was put forward. And... Um, uh, the judge didn't seem to sort of pick up on it at the time, but I was very concerned about where it could go. So um, when that particular hearing was o over, I got six witness statements to say that on the date and time that the local authority was making this claim, I was working at the UK column in Plymouth, which was the absolute truth. When those witness statements were submitted back into the court and we had the next hearing, um, the judge um, got onto the subject. He looked at the statements and he, he looked up at me. I can still see his face with this smirk. And he said, oh, Mr. Gerrish, I rather think that there has, the local authority has made a mistake. And I said to him, well, I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's perjury. And uh, he didn't like that very much. Later in, in that same hearing, he was to say to me, Mr. Gerrish, if you dare to report any of these proceedings, I will put you in prison. And that was part of my education as to how the law worked out of sight of the public, because no press, no jury present in that family court. Uh, but the language, what was clearly perjury, uh, had been changed into a mistake. And that was it, just brushed away. What I noticed when you were explaining it is that you started with, there was a case against this poor lady that something had happened with her child. And what they did was they, the way I see it is they attacked you to deflect your concentration away from that and defend yourself. This is what this is a trick. It's a psychological trick that they tend to use, and I, I see this everywhere nowadays. When I'm reading the papers and stories and so forth, I see that there that uh, authorities will immediately attack you. They'll to deflect from the point that you're trying to uh, report. They've yes. done this with me in Switzerland. As soon as I reported fraud, they said, "Well, if you come to Switzerland, we'll grab you at the border." And in Instead of um, going ahead with the fraud that I was trying to report, I started asking questions and defending myself. Why would I be stopped at the border? That's exactly 
the direction or the route, they want the path that they want to take people down. They want to deflect away from the real big picture of what's happening. And, and in, in your case, I guess they won as well. Ultimately, they won because, yes, that was another child that was taken away from, from the mother. Just, just absolutely horrific to, to watch and observe. But we're, we're on to a really key point here, aren't we? Because we're talking about criminal activity taking place and then it, the, then it is being covered up or facilitated by the use of language. We've, we've got onto this pretty strongly, but we've now got the added element that they're not only using language in a special way, they're using applied psychology in a malicious and special way. So now we've, we've got a really poisonous cocktail that we've got people with immense, um, we're going to stay on the financial banking system, people with immense power by means of the wealth that they control are backed up with a corrupt system of law which is prepared to manipulate language and the truth and to use, I'm calling it malicious because it is malicious, applied psychology to prevent the ordinary citizen or member of the public from challenging what they're doing. They just spend more money, which in my opinion is counterfeit because they're, just, they're not doing real work, these people. They are actually printing money to fund these type of people uh, in, in fraud and corruption. I, I can't see it any other way. And what they're trying to do to people like me is silence and muzzle me from speaking. So that in the end, I come round to their way of thinking, another applied psycho psychology, is that in the end, I try so hard, and I've seen whistleblowers in Switzerland who have battled for 15 years, Brian, and in the end, they don't know where they are because these people throw so many details at them and attack them with things that are irrelevant to their cases that these people run off and start defending themselves uh, instead of speaking out. I can speak freely because I'm not in Switzerland. If I was in Switzerland on this interview, I'd be arrested without a doubt. Yes. The police just shot somebody a couple of weeks ago. Again, that never hits the international press. A policeman shot a young man the other week and then they killed a, 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 a young colored man because there's a lot of racism in Switzerland. Uh, doing the same tactics as the Americans did. They kneeled on his neck for three minutes until he died. He had a heart attack. That never hit the international press. It was kept quiet because it's in Switzerland. So I've written to many uh, journalists in Switzerland. They never print any of the things that I've tried to bring to their attention. And I end up wondering in the end, Brian, what am I trying to do? Am I, I'm just trying to be an honest person and bring to light things that are happening that I believe shouldn't happen in an honest world, in a democracy. That's all I'm trying to do. I could just say, well, my wife often says to me, why bother? They're not listening. No one's listening. But if we all think like that, then what future do our children and grandchildren have? This is the key point, Trevor, isn't it? This is the key point. When we know something's wrong, I think it's beholden on all of us to stand up and do our best to challenge it. Maybe for some people in their circumstances, they can't do much, but everybody is capable 
most people are capable of speaking out at least. Um, but yeah, it's beholden on all of us because um, we've discussed in our interview today uh, um, a corrupt system of immense power because we're talking about the world banking system based or um, headed with a base in Switzerland. Uh, we know it's wrong. We know it's involved in fraud and corruption and deception, manipulation of the money markets. What does that ultimately cause? In many cases, it causes people to lose jobs or be starving. Um, so it's despicable, the knock-on effect of, of what their global decisions make. But we also know that we've, we've got the rapid push to um, digital currency, which is going to lock people into the banking system like they've never been locked in before because the bank, as, as you've said, can control your account, can freeze your account. It can steal money from your account, it appears, if you're in Switzerland at least. And um, uh, once they have got rid of any form of cash in your pocket and the system is digital, everybody will be a slave to that international banking system. Absolutely. And what's happening is they are transferring this into the hands of a few, this power. Uh, and, and they're using currency to do that at the moment. They're using the currencies that are available, the fiat currencies, uh, giving that, printing it and giving it to that handful of few people who can then manipulate our futures with that in controlling commodity prices, things that we eat, food, energy, everything. They can control that. And then finally, when they've finished using the currency that they printed, they will say, well, now we're going to switch over to this digital currency. But I think that would be a great thing to discuss in future, Brian, if you'd let me back on, is to discuss this thing called BEPS and its, its base erosion of profit, how they shift profit from one side of the planet to the other, mostly into countries like Switzerland or offshore centers. This is vital that um, audience, public understand what is behind profit shifting and shifting these profits. First of all, uh, going back to your point, they've printed this money it's not real profit. It's just paper money out of thin air. And they're giving that to a handful of investors who then pump up our, our pr prices of our, that we buy every day. And we've, we're seeing this happen. It's being done right in front of our faces. And unfortunately, uh, most people are too busy making ends meet that they don't have time to sit down and think about this. This is, it's an all about it, isn't it? We, we are getting close, I think, to the, to the um, end on our discussion. But the third point that you'd raise was government protectors, lawyers, prosecutors and regulators. And we've, we've talked a little bit about that in, in the other subjects as we've worked through. But you, you had a yeah. particular story to tell about what happened to one man who, sorry, one man who tried to challenge the system in Switzerland, um, truly horrific. And what does this demonstrate? Uh, to me, at least, it demonstrated the lengths to which these people will go to protect their empire. 
would you like to tell us a little bit about what what happened to the to that particular gentleman and uh, um, what the um, judge or the prosecutor asked to be done with him? Yes. Well, this was a, a, a parliamentary report uh, that was pointing to authoritarian methods being used by the Swiss prosecution services and police. Um, so, and, and in this particular case, Brian, it was against uh, a former Swiss city councillor. So he was, he got away with <laughs> uh, quite a bit. Uh, you can imagine if this would have happened to just an ordinary person in the street. So the document exposed how a Swiss prosecutor, um, I don't, I can't pronounce his name, Oliver Jornet, was French side of Switzerland, uh, together with the judiciary police, used disturbing authoritarian methods on this former councillor. He had been accused of violating official secrecy acts. In his arrest warrant, the prosecutor expressly demanded that the police search the orifices and body cavities that would be, and they should be searched without the aid of an instrument. This is shocking. And according to commissioners who later investigated this prosecutor, they said that he lied during the court hearing and he denied having ordered that type of search. But they found out that it was documented, so they caught him lying. And they found out that these they said that these humiliating methods, the exposure of body of the body outside of the rules that apply and the use of handcuffs led to the deputies to denounce this as a disproportionate arrest that constitutes an abuse of authority. Now that's the same thing they did to me and the same thing my lawyer reported. But in my case, they stripped me totally naked. Uh, just put that in there for now. Uh, so it is against the law and it is an abuse of authority and it's disproportionate. The commissioners went on to, and, and they found that the prosecutor had given orders to the judiciary police um, to hold the defendant in a dungeon in Switzerland, near Geneva, that was two meters by one meter. I mean, Brian, what year are we living in? This is 2023, and this is being done in a country, Switzerland, that tells the whole world what a democratic country it is. And these type of things are carried out there. People are being murdered by Swiss. People are being thrown in dungeons. People are being stripped. Anyway, he also ordered that this person would not be allowed a lawyer. I must say, though, that was in the first 10 hours of his detention. And I think probably by law, they're allowed to do that. They, they can only see a lawyer within the first 24 hours or something. Anyway, they say that these acts, the commission, the Swiss commission that investigated this said that these acts have had a dramatic consequence on the political career and health of this victim. Neither the author nor the prosecutor or the police who ordered this arrest and this treatment have been made accountable for these malicious actions. 
since this scandal, certain police directives uh, concerning searches have been brought to light. The ones I mentioned to you earlier. They've, they've done this to other people. And when questioned, the same state councillor in charge of the justice and police said, well, he's not too bothered because they had a separation of duties, separation of powers. There are no separation of powers existing in Switzerland, Brian. It is a nepotist society. They all support one another and they all look after one another. When you report a crime to a, a, a higher authority about, for example, against the police or against the judiciary, they send you immediately back to that person. Not only this, what they'll do, like they did in uh, Rudolf Elmer's case, is they'll, they'll, they, they do not separate duties. They will condemn that person for even reporting these crimes. Trevor, thank, thank you for taking us through that. It's a pretty serious ending to the discussion that we've had on the banks, but I think it's important for our, for our audience to understand that uh, when you're dealing with banking issues, and particularly when you're dealing with uh, fraud and corruption and criminality in the banks, there's almost nothing uh, that they won't do to protect their interests. And you've given us uh, an example of, of what can happen when you've got not only the um, illegal activity within the banks, but you've also got uh, essentially a law system that is is also criminal. Um, now you've focused a lot in Switzerland, but there are many. Uh, there have been many occasions when we've seen massive failure. If we want to be nice to the system in UK, if if not rampant criminality in the court system, so the onus is on people to do something about this. Um, we all need to stand up and be counted. Uh, you've, you've got our audience paying attention at the moment. What would you like? I, I always ask this question because I think it's a good one. What, what would you like the audience that's listened to this discussion today? What would you like them to do to try and assist the situation? I, I would say carry on speaking out when you see something wrong happening. Uh, you can never be guaranteed that there are any safe places for public to speak up, but we need to, because if we don't, then corruption is just going to thrive. And I've said this before, it will just continue to get worse for society as a whole. That's, that's what I would say. Okay. Well, we are still only just touching the tip of the iceberg on this subject. And so I'm very happy to say there's a lot more for us to talk about, um, but today I think has been yeah has been a really good um, discussion on the basis of why you why we see that the power base is in Switzerland, and as these banks um, join together to create this global monetary system with no real money, only a di digital currency their ability to control nation states is going to be absolute. But it seems to me absolutely true where they really want to go is to control the world. They want global control. I'll throw that back to you and we'll, we'll end on that note. What do you think? 
well, I think you're right with the digital currency. And what, what a lot of people probably don't understand is that we're already on digital currency. I keep telling my wife the same thing. When you take a note out of an ATM machine, it's got a hologram on it and it's got a barcode. They, it's got a number. They know that that note is attached to a number. They know where you spend it. So what is the big deal about going digital in the first place? It can only be for control, more control of people on how you spend that money. It's not about how you get it, how you obtain it. It's about how you spend it. Because if you withdraw from an ATM, you're withdrawing digital currency anyway. It's got numbers all over the notes. We've known this for since the beginning of the creation of money. So coming up with the idea that everything is going to be digitalized, it already is in effect. It's just that when you put the money in the pocket or in your pocket, in your wallet or under your bed at home, you have control of how you spend it. What they want is they want control of how you spend and where you spend that money. That's what they're aiming at. That's, that's what I think. Yeah. That makes sense to me. And when they have that control, they control you. They control each and every one of us if we let them. Trevor, let's end there. Maybe the topic for another uh, discussion together should be digital currency. And uh, we may be able to bring in some other people to join us on that because, of course, it's a very hot topic at the moment. But I'm going to say a very big thank you for joining me today and uh, taking us through your three-part agenda um, on matters banking and what's taking place in Switzerland. It's been extremely interesting. The reason why Switzerland was chosen as the centre for the Bank of International Settlements, the BIS, and of course many other global organisations have headquarters there, is simple. It's because of secrecy laws. Switzerland has some of the strictest secrecy laws in the world, not just in banking, but in trade and other services too. Violating those banking or trading business uh, secrecy laws is a criminal offence in Switzerland. And that carries harsh fines and uh, harsh long-term prison sentences too. So the Swiss judiciary and its media are well prepared to combat any reputational damage to the Bank of International Settlements or other businesses that affect the Swiss economy. The highest discretion is guaranteed to wealthy individuals and corporations. And of course, being a neutral country, that, that also helps because they would never enter into a war and other countries know this. Uh, the, uh, for these reasons, many corrupt politicians, oligarchs and multinational corporations and high net worth individuals use Switzerland like a private island to run their shady transactions through. And the Swiss allow that. They actually know the Swiss government will keep that very secret and protect them. So if one puts enough money on the table in Switzerland, any, anything is possible. Um, they also have, by the way, multiple duty-free storage facilities across the country in Switzerland. Anyway, I, I believe that this is all about secrecy 
and Swiss love secrecy, especially when it comes to themselves and money. Um, well, at least the Swiss government, I wouldn't blame everybody there. Um, Swiss banker fees, just as a matter of interest, but on, for these corporations and these oligarchs, now almost match the tax savings that they make. So it's, it's not about saving tax, it's about secrecy and hiding wealth and where that wealth was derived from. So as far as reporting these activities to authorities in Switzerland or elsewhere in Europe, I would recommend anyone now who, th who thinks of helping governments to think very carefully, especially helping, as one judge, ex-judge in Switzerland mentioned, do not give information to prosecutors, police, regulators, government officials, lawyers, whistleblowing law firms, and their whistleblowing, uh, whistleblowing organizations. Stay away from them. Passing information onto any of these, if it, especially if, it, if, if what you're reporting disrupts the Swiss economy, will certainly result in serious disruption to one's life. Uh, as I said, an ex-judge said that too. So I believe that many people with a conscience have made that mistake of helping authorities only to find themselves being targeted and even imprisoned. And they finally become outcasts. Look at me, I'm sat in Portugal now shackled because I reported crime. My life has been destroyed because of lies that the prosecutors and lawyers and bankers made up, you know. So every single person, too, that I've met in Switzerland uh, who blew the whistle or reported crime have had their lives destroyed, every single one of them. And they were destroyed by the people that they were trying to help. So for me, the bottom line is that reporting crime in Switzerland and Europe is a crime. Anyway, I would think, I would ask people this, I would say, isn't it the government's responsibility to protect society? So shouldn't we be saying, let these ungrateful law enforcement authorities do their own work? That's, that's about it. Um, that's what I'd have to say on that. But I, I, I would also like to add this, if I may quickly, Finally, uh, I, I would say we're living in times where government and the elite seem, uh, that seem to influence them have become more opaque and secretive and unaccountable. And meanwhile, the public's lives have become more exposed. You know, we have to give identity, personal details, and we must comply with everything, even restricting our speech and our expression. Meanwhile, they do whatever they like, but they keep us, try and keep us silent. And these double standards seem to be applied and are being written by lawyers. They are giving themselves more powers by removing ours. Notice too how the banks more and more want more and more information from us. Have you tried to open up an account lately at a bank? They ask more and more private information and they and we're depositing money with them. 
it's no wonder that they brought out this GDP, this data protection law in Europe, because it's that it's been put there to make us feel comfortable and prepare us for the things that are coming. And that is, we have to give more and more information to them and they give us less about themselves. So I'd say, don't give them any information and let them do their own work. Excellent, thank you. Okay, well, for our viewers, we'll leave it there. We will be back for another session in due course. Bye-bye.